Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Wasn't Rothschild originally handling the Fisher account? Well, I could tell you that, Halbert Stram, but then I'd have to kill you. <laughs> I have all the characteristics of a human being. Flesh, blood, skin, hair. But not a single clear, identifiable emotion. Except for greed and disgust. Let's see Paul Allen's car. Hey, Paul! I feel lethal, on the verge of frenzy. I think my mask of sanity is about to slip. Welcome to The Syndicate, a film and TV podcast. Be a part of the conversation as industry insiders, genre lovers, and cinephiles dare to peek beyond the curtains of imagination and dive into the art of cinema. Join us as we want you to spend less time scrolling and more time watching. Now here's your host, Armand Haddad. All right, Dave, Blake. Armand. What's up, buddy? It's been a while. Thank you so. This is so great to have you back on the show. Like we talked about, what did we even talk about last time? Talked about oh, RoboCop, man. Oh Robo yeah, Cop by Paul Verhoeven, or however you pronounce oh, yeah. that crazy Swedish guy's <laughs> name. So, anyways, we're here. We're talking about um, American Psycho, starring mm-hmm. Christian Bale mm-hmm. uh, from 2000, and I have a lot of thoughts on it. But before we <laughs> dive into the film, I have to ask: How did you first discover the film American Psycho? Blake, I'll start with you. Uh, great question, Armand. Hi, nice to see you. Great to be back here. Feels good. Uh, feels comfy. Um, honestly, I discovered this film, uh, I think, on DVD around 2002. So like a couple years after it came out. Um, I was 12 at the time, which is you know, <laughs> right time to be seeing this movie. Uh, but but a friend had it and he had seen it. He's like, you, you have to see this. You have to see this. And so I was expecting a straight up horror film. That's all I'd been really exposed to at the time. And uh, I had never seen anything quite like this before because 
yeah, it was horrifying, but it also had this like really weird tone and it made me laugh yeah. a lot and I felt <laughs> weird about it. And uh, it just struck this tone with me that I, I couldn't get enough of. So I discovered it that way and it made me feel strange and that is, <laughs> just followed me into adulthood. Armand, so Got that's some that's strange how I feelings it. in you <laughs> for multiple reasons. <laughs> I have issues, and I'm not saying it stems from this film, but it's it's definitely something I've been talking about with my therapist. <laughs> that sounds it about all right. started when I watched Psycho. Uh, American Psycho, excuse me. <laughs> so, Dave, how did you discover American Psycho? Uh, Amer- wait, so we didn't watch Psycho? Um, I need a minute to prepare. Oh, you downloaded the wrong movie again? <laughs> At least it was yes. a good one. Sorry, guys. Uh, <laughs> Anyway, no, uh, I I remember having seen like clips of this. I can't remember where or when or why. Maybe the internet. I don't know. And um, I had no interest in seeing it because I was not a horror film fan. And that's what I thought it was. And then Blake was like, hey, we're going to watch this. And I went, all right, I guess. I guess we can watch it. And uh, I watched it with him. And I don't remember that at all because I watched it this time. And I was like, this is all brand new to me. (laughs) you're can just I checked out you don't remember <laughs> it just bounced right off my weird dumb yeah. <laughs> can i oh tell this story of of me watching this movie with dave really quick oh, please, please because we were we were at his apartment one time we were scrolling through things to watch mm-hmm. and i was like dude i haven't seen american psycho pops up on the on the streaming and i was like man i haven't seen this in forever i love this movie and dave's like what? I was like, it's hilarious. You've got to see it. And he's like, isn't it a horror movie? I was like, kind of, whatever. It's it's great. You're going to love it, mm-hmm. I think. You might like it. I don't know. <laughs> whatever. And so we, Dave's like, mm-hmm. and so we put it on, and uh, and boy, it went great in, <laughs> oh, God. in the way that and I really enjoyed it. And I look, I kept looking over at Dave, and Dave is just like stone-faced. Like, I don't, I don't know. So I don't know if he got it. I don't know if he liked it. <laughs> nope. Um, I had no idea. Apparently, he forgot it completely. So cool, Dave. Good, 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 man. It's great. So he was pretty much embodying the character of uh, Patrick Bateman. <laughs> Listen, especially by not, the end of the film. There's can no... we not out me like that? That'd be great. <laughs> I'm just I'm not saying put... you're a psychopath. I, I mean, I am a little, just a little. <laughs> you're just desensitized to whatever you're watching. I'm like, this isn't funny. I'm not horrified. <laughs> There's no I feel catharsis. <laughs> I feel nothing. <laughs> oh my god. Well, that's really interesting Um, (laughs) because, like, I didn't encounter this film until, like, I don't know. You know what? I used to watch TV a lot. We all watch TV. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, of course. And I had an HBO subscription on the DirecTV back in the day. So, like, I would just flip the channels and, like, catch little snippets of movies. Mm -hmm. And American Psycho is one of them. And I was like, oh, I heard this is a good movie. I never saw it. Oh, Christian Bale's in it. I really liked Batman. And I watched, like, (laughs) the tail end of the movie. No preamble, no nothing about the film. It's like it was the third act, and I'm like, okay, this is pretty exciting. And then the ending hits, and I'm like, what did I, I did I miss something? Maybe I should watch the whole movie. And it took uh, over ten years later, and now I'm here today. I watched the whole movie. You did it, man. And then I forgot that I even watched it, just like with Dave. See, <laughs> I watched See? it before, and I was like watching some scenes. I'm like. Wait a minute, I've seen this film before. 
Yeah. That's actually hilarious. I mean, <laughs> I, I literally, I remember seeing this film for the first time. I was like, I'm never going to forget this. This is so weird and bizarre. And you guys are like, oh, yeah, I guess I didn't see this thing before. <laughs> uh, yeah. Somewhere Granted, in the recesses of my mind. My defense, I didn't see the whole movie. Dave watched the entire film, it, yes. like two yes. hours long, mm-hmm. and yep. completely forgot. <laughs> yeah, that's true. You're excused, Armand. Dave, but, oh, to buddy. be fair, I think to have forgotten something, you need to have taken it in in the first place. <laughs> and I'm pretty sure it just. Were you right just up, like right subjected to this film? Because I've done that to friends too. Yeah. I'm like, we're going to watch this against your will. <laughs> well, like that meme of Jeffrey Dahmer like, playing the knife. You're going to watch this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's how it feels like sometimes, to be honest with you. Um, yeah. No, I wouldn't say I was subjected to this one. He subjected me to quite a few films. Um, this <laughs> okay. one, I just, I, I don't, I think I, I should have liked it. I don't know why it just went in one ear and out the other, but it did. <laughs> oh my God. I just love your dynamic so much because like, Blake, you're obviously like the cinephile. You're well-versed in cinema. And Dave, he's just, he's just a regular schmo. <laughs> it's true we're all regular schmoes but like having that dichotomy between you two it's like oh that makes a uh, a great podcast first price films first price films yes first thank, you. Films. Yes, uh, thank you yes i'm i'm annoying and and dave is a brick wall so <laughs> what <laughs> <laughs> oh my god guys so like this film when i was watching it for the i guess quote the first time um i was surprised on the cast because i'm sure in the year 2000 this wasn't star-studded by today's standard this is very star-studded we have like uh christian bale jared leto willem dafoe and reese witherspoon of all people i'm like watching this i'm like holy shit and they're all in like their 20s or early 30s i'm like holy crap like this is like (laughs) this film little did they know would just mm-hmm. you know be the trajectory that they're going to go on for the rest of their life. Like it was absolutely, it was a surprise to see all these people. Oh, oh yeah. yeah, Dave, how'd you feel about it? Um, yeah, I was uh, when I first saw the like opening credits and stuff, and I'm like, oh, 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 I what? <laughs> this is cool. There's so many people. Why isn't this movie bigger? How come people haven't been talking about this movie? <laughs> turns out I'm just an idiot. Um, no, oh, no. Only I'm allowed to call you that. Oh, sorry. You go ahead. Yeah. Go ahead for me. No, okay, Dave. <laughs> yeah, love you, man. You're kind of an idiot. Thanks. No, bud. you're not. I don't. I don't mean that. That's that's mean. I don't actually believe that. You are actually uh, a really smart person, and I I do want to hear how you feel about the acting because no. Dave. I don't know if you know. I'm setting Dave up. Uh, oh for Armand here. Okay. Dave is also a former actor. Yeah. You are? Yes, I am. Mm-hmm. I'm actually wow. in a movie that's on Amazon Prime. So Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, that, you're keeping that close to the vest. Yeah. Would you like to elaborate on that? <laughs> uh, you're going to be like David Lynch? Be like, no. <laughs> <laughs> I thought about it. I, well, I almost went, no. Um, <laughs> no, I acted for a few years when I lived in L.A. the first time. Really loved it. Was told I was good at it. I don't know. He is good at it. I oh. that's a, a real thing. Thank you. Um, and then I panicked and went home. So I now am a postal guy. So <laughs> yeah, I was hey, a nervous man. laugh, guys. You could you could have your Renaissance moments. It's true. It's never too late. Yeah, never too late. Yeah, it's, it's never true. too late. That is very fair. <laughs> I would say for me, the the acting in this movie though, uh, I I enjoyed it sort of because. Um. Um, I remember hearing what Christian Bale based like the famous axe scene off of. Um, and also the character a little bit was fucking Jim Carrey. 
What? Yes. Really? Yes. Think about that scene. Think about okay. the way he talks and the way he moves. He based it on Jim Carrey. <laughs> I, I can see, see it. it. I, I mean, that wouldn't be the first place I would go to, but no, like, no. I can like, okay, I could see where your frame of reference was. Because mm-hmm. Jim Carrey does act like that and does talk like that. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I thought that everybody else's acting was really good. Um, Willem Dafoe felt weird. For some reason, he's a weird guy. Weird guy, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But uh, yeah, I, I thought that everybody did a really good job. Now that I know that it was a fucking satire, I didn't know it the first time. <laughs> this happened with RoboCop too, <laughs> dude. I'm a brick wall. <laughs> what can I say? I get. And I have to say, I could tell. Thanks for the forewarning. I could tell this time, um, but I don't know what we were making fun of. Oh, we're going to get into that for oh, sure. Yes, we are. We have lots to talk about. But but for me, one one of the things that really stuck out this time in this viewing, because I hadn't seen it since I subjected Dave to it uh, all those years ago, um, <laughs> obviously Christian Bale is, is so good in this. Like, he's the perfect Patrick Bateman. He's so, oh, yeah. like, uh, things come out of his mouth. They feel so, like, disconnected. Yes. It's like he's reading from like an instruction manual or something <laughs> on on how to be human. Yes. And uh, I don't know. We get so much out of his facial expressions, I think, as well. Um, yeah. It's very vapid. Uh, very like corporate face, which we're going to get into uh, oh, in yeah. this podcast. Like it's it's very empty, uh, superficial, hollow, right. and it's just a mask yes. for, for his true identity, who he really is on the inside. No, absolutely. And and the thing too, and to Dave to talk about Willem Dafoe here for a second, mm-hmm. he's yeah. my second favorite performance in this because you can never nail down what the guy's thinking. Like yes. sometimes like sometimes he's he's uh for context here, we're gonna get into it. He is the police officer, he's the detective looking into some crime, so he's gotta talk to Patrick a lot. And you can never tell if he's like onto him. Uh, or if he's just like kind of like Barney Fife, you know, just <laughs> like bumbling around like, I don't know, it's he does it, but he does it in a way that doesn't make him feel inconsistent as a character. Like, no, it really, like, I don't know, it's a tightrope walk. And I, I don't know exactly how he does it, but he can go from just goofy, like chummy cop to like, uh, I'm going to pin a murder on you yeah. uh, pretty, pretty quickly. And uh, I don't know, I think it's a great performance. It's really interesting. And with Willem Dafoe's character, I don't think he was purpose. Well, I don't think he was being like a Barney Fife, like he's incompetent or like a bumbling idiot. I think right. it was all premeditated. I don't know about you. You, you guys probably don't do this because I'm a fucking weirdo. <laughs> uh, I watch a lot of police interrogation videos and like oh, wow. how it's like it's really interesting. It's like true crime on another level where it's like it's this game of cat and mouse as they're interviewing oh, yeah. an obviously yeah. guilty person, and yeah. like they start off like trying to gain the trust of the individual and then like maybe like an hour in they're like and they like go for the kill it's like and where were you on this day it's like i've seen like shitty interviewers where they like completely mess it up and it's like fuck <laughs> but like i don't think Willem Dafoe was like going at that angle and no, no you could I, tell I, like I he kind of knew something yeah and that that's so that's what's interesting you're right when i when i kind of make the the barney five comment he kind of comes he comes off as chummy he's he's very good at being like oh yeah you know and he's asking questions and patrick at one point goes wait don't you know this he goes yeah i just i just want to see if you know it and i'm like Ooh, <laughs> gotcha. i would uh, by the way also any any uh law enforcement out there if if you interrogate me for anything i'm gonna admit to it whether i did fold. it or not I'm yeah gonna he's fold. gonna fold like a house of cards. Do house of cards <laughs> fold? 
a they table. Fall. They know. fall down. They fold like a bad table party fold. table. <laughs> I will fold like a table. So uh, if you need to pin a murder on somebody, call me. Blake's your guy. Blake's yeah. your guy. You got this. Remember, you have the right to remain silent. I can't. <laughs> you don't have to say anything. <laughs> me neither. <laughs> I'm in podcasting for a reason. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, boy. Oh, Blake. Okay, I think we touched upon the movie a little bit, so let's really dive into it. Guys, let's talk about the movie. Let's get into it. We talked about this off-air, but one of you is going to volunteer as tribute. Blake, is that going to be you? That's going to be me. Okay, but first, before you really get into your spiel on overviewing uh, American Psycho, do you like Huey Lewis in the news? Oh, oh, you better oh. believe I do. Oh, me too. Um, I who do, unironically. I think Huey Lewis in the news is great. <laughs> Would you like to summarize the movie of American Psycho? <laughs> yes. <clears throat> it's more of a logline, but here we go. When a yuppie Wall Street serial killer's nighttime bloodlust boils over into his waking life, he'll have to go extra lengths to continue killing, like lying to the cops, stashing bodies even even nicer apartment than his, and most importantly, returning some videotapes. Beautiful. <laughs> Beautifully spoken. Said <laughs> Huey, just to feel the spirit of him. He's alive, to be clear, yes. but I feel the spirit of Huey Lewis <laughs> filling me up. I love it. Guys, let's really get into the film now. Yes. Because, like, as I was watching this, I, did, I also didn't know it was a satire going into it. Mm-hmm. And very, very quickly into this film, I knew something was wrong. Because, like, <laughs> the movie opens up and Patrick Bateman's in, at, like, this bar or nightclub or whatever. And he's ordering a drink from a bartender who's a lady. And he orders a drink. And as she turns around, he says, fuck you, bitch i want to cut you up and play with your blood and i was like what the fuck (laughs) no response and i'm like what's happening right now (laughs) yeah that was uh for me if i had not been forewarned that it was a satire i'd be like oh he's crazy but since i knew i was like i know what's happening here This this yeah. is one of those things because that line specifically, like I, I want to cut you open and play with your blood. I remember from the first time watching this because it's such a weird expression, you know, like, I don't know, like, it's not like I want to like cut, cut your head off and I don't know, put it in my trunk or something. It's like <laughs> yeah. I want to play with your blood, like, like your like finger painting. It just feels like very childish and like, um, yeah. like strange in that way, like a, a petulant child. Yeah, what kind of children do you play with, Blake? Uh... Dave. <laughs> oh, buddy. You wouldn't fucking believe, my friend. <laughs> I just want, I'd like, who hurt you, Patrick? What happened yeah, in your right? childhood for, for this to happen? But yeah, like, very quickly, and you know, I forgot about the name of the entire movie, American Psycho. He's mm-hmm. a psycho. Yeah, and yeah. It's, it's, a, it's exemplified throughout this entire film because like, what's interesting with this character, which I didn't know going into it, but like by the end of the film, it's like, okay, this is clearly what's going on. It's unreliable narration because yes. the character that we're following, we're hearing his internal thoughts and all this stuff, is an unhinged psychopath, specifically mm-hmm. a serial killer. Okay. And it's just, it's not what I expected. And my God, Blake, why did you recommend this film to me? <laughs> <laughs> what have you done to us? <laughs> uh, great question, first off. Uh, but second, it's, I recommended this because I think there's 
there's a lot to get out of this movie. This mm-hmm. is a movie that operates on m- multiple different levels, you know, as a horror film, but but also the like satirical elements of this film just I don't know, it just it strikes such a specific tone that I don't I don't think that you have to be a horror movie fan to watch this and enjoy what the movie has to say. Cuz right. it doesn't so much feel like a message film even though it does have a certain uh angle, like a certain point of view, but uh I feel like it just still has so much to say and says it in a weird and humorous way that it stuck with me a lot and that experience that I got when I first watched it and have watched it ever since. I want to endow that on other people because I just love this film and I, and I love to talk about it because I don't know, you can go also down like the YouTube rabbit hole of, of people dissecting this film. There's just a lot to talk about. And I love the, the dichotomy of, of different ways to view this film. You can view, view it very surface level, like Patrick Bateman views and exists in his own realm, or you can dive in deeper and, and pull a lot of things out of it uh, that I think you can, uh relate to and i don't know just just discuss and dive into your own psyche and how you feel about things as well it's a very i feel like it's a very ambiguous film mm-hmm. and you you are forced to draw your own conclusions and yeah, yeah. i like that because like it's no longer a movie i'm watching it's a film <laughs> and then even more so it's like art that i'm yeah. watching where you know you go up to the painting or the drawing and you have to infer what this means yeah and that's what happens with american psycho because like there's nothing really telegraphed to the to the viewer like of what's exactly happening there's no exposition dumps it's you see a peek into the main character's life patrick bateman who is this successful businessman Mm -hmm. in wall street uh pre-9-11 because it's in the 80s yeah even though it came out in 2000 um like everything about it i was like this is very interesting. And then you have the layer of the thriller elements. Like you said, you don't have to be a horror fan. Mm-hmm. And it's it's very light on the horror and very much, I would say, more a, a thriller where you're, you're just on the edge of your seats because, like, you're truly yeah. given a ride with this film because, like, you don't know what's going to happen and <laughs> what is real um, yeah. also. Yes. Yeah, no, I agree. There's so many things like I said, to to dive into and so many little nuances to this film that you're right, it, it makes it more than just like a movie, you know, like a, a, a popcorn afternoon sitting on your couch kind of movie and turns it into film, you know, something that mm-hmm. should be discussed and is, is meant to be discussed or interpreted. And like you said, it's, it is kind of like a, a modern art painting, like how you what you get out of it rather is a more of a reflection than you than what the artist necessarily put into it. Mm, I like that. Beautifully put. It's true. And uh, I think for me, I one of the things that I thought about throughout the whole movie is that um, you never really know which part of the conversations are he's actually having with the people. Right. Yeah. Like, and I know there was one point during uh, the first interaction with Willem Dafoe where Willem Dafoe said something and then everything just shifted a little bit and he said something else. I'm like, okay, which part did he really say? Because I'm already thinking, like, I've seen him talking to the mirror. Uh, well, not the mirror, but we see him in the mirror talking to the bartender, talking about playing in her blood, and she obviously didn't hear him, so he obviously didn't say that out loud. Mm-hmm. So that's right. what I was thinking the whole the whole movie. I was like, which of these things is, are conversations he's actually having? It's very interesting that you bring that up because, like, a lot of his internal mon- like monologue or dialogue to himself, mm-hmm. it's always in reflections. He's always yeah. looking at himself. Which then I think yeah, that's a great point. Builds upon like the superficiality 
of him and his life and what he's trying to convey, like trying to conform to like this yuppie lifestyle mm-hmm. in Manhattan. And it's just like, it's interesting how it's like, what's the reliable source of information for me to parse out mm-hmm. when we don't know what's happening? It's, and I think maybe when he's looking in the mirror, that could be internal dialogue happening. That's a that's a good point, and um, to 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 your other well, to the greater point rather of <laughs> you know uh, an unreliable narrator. He, the thing that makes this interesting and so ambiguous is that nobody around him uh, cares, and nobody is oh. like paying enough attention to yeah. where you don't know if it's like he he could be saying this in the bar, Dave. You know, yeah. I want to stab you, and I want to play with your blood. He could be saying it out loud, and nobody's really paying attention. Nobody cares. It's a loud club. He could be saying these things, and there's another scene later where he's in a club and he's talking with a model, and she's like, "What do you do?" He's like, "Oh, I'm in murders and executions." And she's yeah. like, "How do you like it?" And he goes, "Honestly, <laughs> you know." And she's like, "Well, I, I know people, and they have a real tough time in mergers and acquisitions. They don't like it." And I'm like, "Oh, <laughs> you're you're doing the thing. Yeah, you're, you're bringing your own thing to it." And which also we as an audience are bringing our own thing right. to it as well. Mm-hmm. It's it's very uh, kind of meta in that way. I think it's extremely meta. Like that was like one of my favorite exchanges in this entire film, because like he clearly says that, you know, murders and executions. And she either, I I thought she misheard at this point in the film. I was like, just trying to like understand what's happening. (laughs) Yeah, It's only in hindsight where it's like, Oh, okay. It's, he didn't actually say that, but like her just saying something similar. Yeah. That's related to business. I'm like, Oh my God, this is, such a genius script yeah. that's going on. Yes. And what's also interesting, I don't know, Blake, you probably know this, but the uh, the director of this film is a woman. Yes. Yeah. Mary Heron, oh. I believe, right? Yeah. What's her name? Yeah. Uh, she didn't it, do much, but she did this. <laughs> right. That's that's the thing. She's like, she hasn't done that much film at all um, in terms of uh, like films necessarily since here, but this is such a singular piece that her name is going to be, you know, attached to this uh, film that's going to be discussed for a very long time um, because it is, it's, it's a work of art, man. I love it. (laughs) And, um, but that's a good point. I don't know, Dave, not to hijack your question, but I want to know if you noticed any like specific angles. I I don't know out of this that maybe pointed you to uh, like a woman directing this, like that specific point of view. Um, no, I don't, I, I did not catch anything that could have pointed me towards one gender or another in terms of direction. I did like how basically everybody in the film felt fake as hell. Mm-hmm. Like every single character, including the homeless man that he may or may not have murdered and stomped his dog out. Mm-hmm. Um, even that guy felt like he's not real this is all a figment of his imagination i think this is not none of this is actually happening oh interesting that's what i got yeah okay. i just wonder like like i'm gonna flip this back to you because like i bring it up because like this is a very interesting and you and you brought this up to me before we even started recording uh it's a very interesting caricature of like yuppie culture and like the businessman is super affluence uh young adults uh in the big city i just wonder having a female uh, lens capturing this and portraying this on film through her perspective, if that changes the film, like if this was done by a man or somebody else, like would that made of a, would that make a difference in like how they executed this film? Like it's because like with Mm -hmm. this movie, there's a lot of like 
close-ups on like uh christian bale and like mm-hmm. his body and like he's very like into himself and like super oh, yeah. self-absorbed and like his appearances like does that make a difference that that it was a woman uh directing this at all in your opinion i, I would say probably oh right I, mean, I was i would say no personally i would say probably because in the 80s especially which is when this movie came out right no, two thousand. It 2000. takes place in the eighties. Oh, okay. Well, it's a period piece. It's a period piece. <laughs> hey, um, so in the two thousands, then even still, I don't think there was enough men that were comfortable enough with any kind of self reflection or, or, or sexuality or anything like that to have these kinds of like close ups and stuff. I think that since you know, since you brought it up, a woman doing this and directing this had that comfortability and was like, "We're gonna." linger on things that i think that we should linger on i don't think there was enough people enough men in 2000 that were that comfortable to do that no i agree with that point i agree with that point for sure what what, i thought you were you were saying that um nobody else could have like like a woman specifically could only have directed this i don't know if that's necessarily true but yeah Mm -hmm. you're i think for the time period you have a great point yeah, because I wouldn't say that is, only a woman could have done it. I just feel like only a woman could have woman, only a woman could have done it in this way. Because it feels that's a good point. It feels a, a little bit um, exploitative, mm-hmm. and and but not in like a gross way. Ooh, you know, right. it's it's very much like you know, look look at Patrick. He's like the perfect you know human physical specimen yeah. and all this stuff. And and you're right, they do linger on a lot of these shots and stuff. Like even during the sex scenes, yeah. uh, we're focusing on Patrick. Mm-hmm. It doesn't really have anything to do with the women. Which, you know, is also interesting because having a woman direct this, we don't get a woman's point of view really at all. Um, It's but but in showing only Patrick, I think it shows his complete uh, self-absorption, but also Mm -hmm. his like wanting to dominate over people. And I think it's really bold to to direct it this way. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, no, I, I I agree with you, Dave. I do. I'm going to add another layer to that. So not only did Mary Heron direct this, mm-hmm. she also wrote it. Like, it's based off of the original novel by yeah. Brett Ellis, but, like, her and another writer who's a woman mm-hmm. wrote the screenplay. So it's yes. like, not only is she directing it, she also wrote all the dialogue. So I have an interesting point to that. So I actually got to meet, not Mary Heron, but the the other writer, um at austin really yeah because she's in the movie she's the um uh i'm almost certain like this it's been a minute it's been a minute so i i I don't think i'm wrong in this but in 2017 i was at austin film festival and was doing some panels and stuff there and very cool she was there talking about this film specifically and because i'm almost certain it's it's her in the scene the apartment scene with christy and she's like trying to call her drug dealer um oh no kidding yeah i think i'm i'm almost she's the one with the black blazer she was the yes friend co-worker yes that one yeah who ends up getting stabbed um but but yes they were (laughs) she was talking about this um and stuff and and a bit on their perspective of of writing this film and honestly from a woman's uh writing it not necessarily from a woman's point of view obviously adapting a book but I think it does give that um, impression because it doesn't really, how do I say this? It it dives into Patrick, but doesn't shy away from all of his nastiness uh, towards women, which is hard to watch. Like there's some like, honestly, hard to watch scenes in this film um, that are are pretty disturbing and how Patrick treats women. 
Um, but they don't shy away from that. Um, they kind of put it in your face and be like, Hey, look, like this is awful. And right. it's not just Patrick who treats women like this. It's not just the singular thing. Like it's a bit indicative of the culture, uh, you know, yes. specifically kind of like in the eighties, I know it happens all the time everywhere. So don't get me wrong, but, um, but specifically commenting on this time and how these kinds of people, these kinds of wall street people with a lot of money with enough money, you can do anything. You can hurt anybody mm-hmm. and you're going to get away with it. Right. Um, so I, I do think circling all the way back, taking a little journey with me um, to the, the female perspective, I think it is interesting because they do not shy away from some of these pretty hard to watch um, ideas and, and themes. Yeah, and I, th- I think right. to piggyback off of that just a little bit, that's another good point for my perspective on that, that I don't think a male director or even screenwriter would have put uh, some of these uncomfortable things in because they would have been like, uh, maybe not. Right. Yeah. yeah, I I think I, I I think I agree with that too. Like I think a lot of male creatives mm-hmm. would have either shied away from that or like made it a little bit more palatable mm-hmm. while these women just went for it. They're like, let's go for the kill. <laughs> <just> Literally. Yeah. <laughs> right. And and like as a as a man, I'm not in any place to be like, oh, a woman should do this or can do this. Like, you know, they he, so I feel weird talking about that as if like I know more about a woman's perspective on film or anything like that. So mm-hmm. that's purely speculation um, from from my point of view. But I, I do think it's an interesting topic and uh, something worth discussing in terms of this film that is very brutal and very male dominated. Right. Like that's why I brought up. That's why I think you brought up too. like it's a satire on like the whole yuppie business culture in Uh big cities and i think i'm not sure what their background is but they obviously i mean they are adapting this novel Uh but like they have they obviously understand the people that they're making fun of the people that they're satirizing and it's just really interesting because it's always these toxic men in these corporations especially in the 80s where like you like you said dave they felt like they were invincible like they could do whatever they want because they have the money they have the means to do so and they could just pursue whatever they want because Mm -hmm. they have these affluent lifestyles and then they get bored they become (laughs) vapid and they're like well it's kind of like thrill seeking or like you i want the bigger and bigger roller coasters except for these people it's like it's not roller coasters it's life experiences and like pain pleasure and all that yeah Yeah, until so, it eventually turns into let's just kill some bitches. <laughs> yeah, let's <laughs> become my coworkers. Who cares? <laughs> With a platinum plated uh, axe. Oh, oh man. my god, <laughs> that scene is so good. It's, it's iconic. It's too. So it is, and it, it is iconic for a reason because it's just so fucking weird. You know, <laughs> it's just so totally strange. You know, and you got Huey Lewis playing. And he's talking about the joys of conformity and all mm-hmm. these things. He's like, "Isn't it great, Paul?" <laughs> I don't know. It just it gets a laugh out of me every time. God, it's so bizarre. Like if you were to take out all the killing in this film, it's just the guy that's really into music. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's an audiophile, guys. Come yeah. on. <laughs> he is. Jeez. He has some weird hobbies on the side, okay? It's, uh, let's not talk about that. Let's just focus on the fact that he really likes music, and he's not. he doesn't care if people judge him for liking Whitney Houston. Dude, you know exactly. what? It's, 
my favorite part of him and his digestion of music and interpretation of music, you know, a lot of people who are like audiophiles, like, you know, really, really into to music, they they like, you know, mm. obscure things and interesting artists. And Patrick hates that shit. Yeah. <laughs> he, he, he only likes what is popular and the most surface level of kind of things he relates to. Like when he's talking about Whitney Houston, he's like, you know, mm. she had four number one singles on her first album. And like, <laughs> yes, of course, that's what he cares about. Those are like the hits. Those are the the awards, mm-hmm. you know, those those goalposts and yep, he because yes. he didn't like genesis when peter gabriel <laughs> was yeah. like, he's too and intellectual but then when phil collins took over you know and st- it started to be more the front man of genesis mm-hmm. he's like that's when they came into their own and we all know phil collins <laughs> you know we all heard phil collins our whole freaking lives because right? <laughs> he's great and he's a great ma- guy great musician but um you know is is more the commercially successful person he looks up to that oh yeah he does invisible touch <laughs> and you know what i'm gonna admit it i have it on vinyl yes oh, wow <laughs> amazing Good. i love that it's a great amazing album. yeah and it's it's funny how you you talk about how he talks about whitney houston's four number one singles because all he cares about is success you know mm-hmm. aside from killing people yes you know? mm-hmm. which then plays into his character being mm-hmm. a wall street guy yeah it's about success or the appearance of success the aesthetic also, yeah. to take it a little bit further, I don't even think it's just success. He has to be number one, and he only likes people who do things right. number one. That's why he freaks out over people having better business cards than him. Yes, and let's get yeah. into it. Because like before I even watched this movie, I knew of that scene. I think every person that's into film, even it's, it's even a meme at this point, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> uh, that business card scene. Because like, and I want to bring this up because, Blake, you want to bring up yuppie culture, so I'm going to bring it up. So I yeah. used to work in... Corporate America, yeah, uh, here oh in the Second City, Chicago. Mm-hmm. I used to work downtown, and with this very yuppie culture, it's a whole bunch of rich, like trust fund kids mm-hmm. turned adults, like with yeah. suits, and they they <laughs> go out for every single meal. Yeah, and I'm oh like, how God. the fuck is this sustainable? And my friend's like, it's not Armand, it's all debt. I'm like, what? <laughs> what? They live on debt. Jesus, I'm like, oh shit. That is nuts. They're like, yeah, they're living on mountains of debt. And I'm like, oh, shit. Oh, oh my God. But wow. anyways, <laughs> I bring up that scene because, like, uh, I'm a designer, so I would design all of their business cards. Right. And they were very specific on what they wanted. Really? Very specific Jeez. on, like, even to the font size. They would be like, oh, wow. uh, I noticed that this is smaller than this director's font size. And I'm like, holy shit. Like, they'd be like, oh, this, uh, there's a bleed on this. Like, I, I wanted no bleed. And I'm like, okay. So then <laughs> that scene Jesus. popped up in my head. I'm like, I have to show the other designers this. I'm like, this reminds me. Have you seen American Psycho? They're like, no. And I'm like, check this scene out. And they're like, oh, my God. So when I was watching it this time, I couldn't help but laugh the entire time because, like, and the thing is, with their business cards, they all look the same. Exactly the same. <laughs> exactly like the slight, same. Slight, slight uh, font choices that are different. Like all this, it's exactly the same. It's all boilerplate uh, designs. And I do have to say, from a design perspective, yeah. they're not even designed that well. <laughs> Everything has the same weight. Nothing stands out. There's no hierarchy. I look at them like, this is like the lamest business card i've ever seen even for the 80s right <laughs> yeah Dude, i was not impressed at all by any other cards yeah i was gonna say dave what's your next business card looking like after getting inspired oh uh probably a lot of shapes good answer and colors okay um i don't think i'm gonna have my name on there because i want people to be confused 
Good so idea. Why I'm handing them a weird sheet of little tiny piece of paper, and on the back it's going to say, "Check it out." Just have <laughs> a QR good. code on it. That's it. <laughs> have like a metal card, a QR code. Be like, yep. here's my information. But who are you? You'll find out. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Play the mystery card. I yeah. like that. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Just go find out. <laughs> <laughs> this scene also specifically about the scene. One of the things that I liked and stood out to me even more this time because yes it is a classic scene just mm-hmm. the little subtle bits of sound design when the cards come out and think like yes. the little yes. things and like yes. you can see like those close-ups on patrick's eyes and like the sweat starting to pool <laughs> and stuff he's freaking the fuck out <laughs> he's losing his mind that subtle off-white color <laughs> you know and i was like oh my gosh he's having like a full-blown panic attack full-blown meltdown it's- and i see it's paul allen's card and it's like oh my god White bevel, <laughs> color. Oh my god, there's a watermark. <laughs> oh my god. Yeah, like even even the way like the the voiceovers record is like very breathy and like oh god. <laughs> <laughs> like he's aroused, but he's mad that he's aroused. <laughs> yeah, he's like sexy angry. It's <laughs> it's true. Perfect. Sexy angry. Oh my god. But yeah, I mean that scene encapsulates the entire vapidness mm-hmm. of uh corporate america right right then and there it's like they're uh peacocking puffing their chests with mm-hmm. business cards yes <laughs> you know yes it's and it's so funny because like this this God. culture uh discussing more like the, the yuppie stuff this culture and this self-absorption of it and the the competition nobody knows each other's names really like no. you know patrick it's confused for like other like guys who look pretty much just like him with marcus halberstram and all these (laughs) all all these people like that that aren't him and they all talk shit about patrick to patrick thinking he's somebody else and stuff it's this thing where people just don't notice and i think that's such a wonderful touch because whether or not this stuff going on is within patrick's mind um to me is i don't know it's kind of besides the point because this culture allows him to do this taking taking his actions as real Mm -hmm. for the moment it doesn't matter like they he can get away with this stuff because nobody really knows who he is it's just all like the self-absorption thing so this culture breeds uh him the ability to essentially walk around as a serial killer in plain sight right and and nobody really cares (laughs) everyone has the same suits they have the same haircut they have the same glasses yes oh my god they do can I, I also have a question for both of you? This is an actual yeah. question. Do we never see Patrick do actual work ever? No. What is his job? Uh, <laughs> like, Well, his dad owns <laughs> the company, right? So I guess his job is to be there. I mean, every scene that I, I thought about this when I first started watching this this time, I wa- and I watched through the rest of the film, he is like listening to music or he's like playing with hair, you know, that he like yes, you know, right. stole from the model and stuff. He never actually does work, and he tells his assistant, Gene, played by Chloe Sfigné. Uh, sure. um, I I love her, um, but she uh, she's the one doing work. She's like, but every time she asks about, it, so tell him I'm out. Tell him I'm I'm at lunch. I'm not doing this. He never actually works. No, he doesn't, and it's incredible because <sighs> I wish I was doing that. Um, no, you're not. <laughs> not working. Yeah, not working. It's very boring. Uh, I would much rather be paid to be bored than to be stressed, if I'm being honest with you. Ooh, I don't know. I operate on stress. Yeah, and Blake, you I, live on stress, so. I eat it for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, but um, <laughs> sometimes snacks. But I think for me, like having a boring job and 
is the worst. I I hate having free time on my hands, which is why yeah, I do all the things I do. It's Have probably a, a problem. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, man, not for me. Patrick just sits around listening to music. Sounds great for him, but I would I would lose my mind. Yeah, the thing is, that is actually pretty true to how it is because like, you know, at the places I worked at and like the nepotism people that are like, mm. oh, my brother's here or my father's a director. Yeah. I would see their workload and they would, I mean, I would notice they're <laughs> pretending to be busy. Yeah. <laughs> it's very easy to pretend to be busy. You just look oh, at yeah. your computer, look a little mad, squint. Mm. It's like, <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> busy, so stressed, but they're not doing anything eventually they would they would be fired but <laughs> it would work out for a while <laughs> wait um well, so how how long before they would get fired just just curious not not asking for myself or anything <laughs> bro you don't want to you don't want to do it it's yeah it's, it's not fulfilling like 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 i'm just like you I, I unfortunately i live off of stress and it's like i eat it every single meal of the day but it's mm-hmm. like at the end of the day when i have those breather moments and i look back i'm like well i've accomplished a lot yeah even though I'm like stressed and probably gonna die earlier than I should, but <laughs> oh yeah, <laughs> but I'm doing a lot, you know. No, it's true. That's why I stopped saving for retirement because I'm, I'm I'm gonna die very young, but I'll Fuck die yeah. fulfilled, man. Not to be dark, but you know what? No, I I feel very fulfilled by the stuff I do, and I, I realize because I had an office job for. It was media related, but mm-hmm. I had an office job for about a year here in Los Angeles, and holy shit, it's uh. <laughs> It's constant abuse. I was like, you know, kind of a worker drone guy, but like the people who um, ran all the different departments showed up at like 1130 and they were gone by two and they were all just friends of the CEO hired for these things oh, and nobody fucking did anything. And they they didn't want to pay us like we were salary, uh, but. I worked 90 plus hours a week. I was like sleeping at the office and doing all this stuff. And these people Jeez. stroll in with croissants and shit at like 11, three days a week. They're here and like, oh, whatever. And then they're arguing with people. So I work for magazines, to be clear. Okay. Um, they're arguing with writers who wanted who write the content of their magazines. We're arguing with these people who wanted like $50 for these articles. And they're like, no, nah, we can't pay that. And I'm like, I, I hate this. I hate this. This is awful. <laughs> It's so miserable. And so I think that was even worse for me working for for people and for things that uh, actively hate you. <laughs> yeah, I can't do it. That's yeah. why I would rather be doing nothing because <laughs> that's Fair exactly what's a, what I'm going Fair through point. right now. Fair point. You I, know, I have to say this side note. Mm-hmm. You're both on the West Coast. No, no, I'm still I'm still in Ohio right now. I'm going back oh. to Los Angeles. Okay. Um, and so Blake, coming you're month. in L.A. Yes. Okay, because I was like, okay, are you both in California? How come you keep on asking about Eastern Standard Time? <laughs> I'm Central Time. <laughs> <laughs> That's what I was saying to Dave too. I was like, dude, it's we're gonna retitle this show uh, the Three Time Zones One Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> The podcast where someone's either very late or very early. <laughs> God, it's confusing. Yeah, a little bit. Sorry about that. <laughs> no, it's okay. I was like, I was like, okay, they're probably in New York City. And then you're like, yeah, here in LA. I'm like, oh, hold up. <laughs> Wait. <laughs> Are we calibrating this to the wrong time zone? <laughs> we never said we were good at this, Armand. <laughs> <laughs> Fucking truth right there. We're meeting at noon Greenwich time. <laughs> You figure it out. <laughs> what time is it in Rome right now? That's where I want to. 
God. But back to the movie. Um, so yeah, let's let's get into more so Patrick Bateman's character. I mean, we talked about like him being a yuppie and just mm-hmm. that sucking and him being a serial killer, but like let's dive more into like this unreliable narration because like mm-hmm. I do want to get into that because like that's the one element. It took me the entire, well, most of the film to realize, like, hold up. I don't think some of this is real. Now, <laughs> I'm not going to get off the fence too early. Dave, it sounds like you think, not to, like, fully get off the fence, but it sounds like you think this is all a fabrication. But, like, let's get into that. Because, like, mm-hmm. there's an element where it's, like, clearly this stuff is happening. Mm-hmm. And clearly some of the stuff isn't happening. It's, like, right. I just love how Mary just paints this picture where it's like we as the audience can't trust almost anything to be true, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cause we're left confused by the end of the film. It's like, uh, what I just watch, you know, <laughs> right. that's exactly what happens to me. A lot of times with movies that Blake recommends, but um, this one for sure, I would say. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I had no idea what I just watched because I knew it was a satire. I had no idea what we were making fun of. Um, but uh, I did feel like a lot of the stuff, a lot of the movie was happening. Um, but I, I would say none of the killing did. I would say none of the killing did. And any of the um, weird things that he would say to people he was just saying that in his head, like in the murders and executions part, he actually did say mergers and acquisitions and he, we just hear what he thinks in his mind. So that's, I think it's, it's about 50, 50 that a lot of the things that we saw happened aside from the murders. Okay. That's interesting. Uh, for me, I, I kind of come back to this point cause I, I played, I played with this in my head. And again, not to get off the fence too soon on this, I don't think I don't think it matters. I don't think it matters if any of this was real or not in his head, because Patrick Bateman is is more of a metaphor in my head for for like Wall Street in general. You know, it's it's very uh, self-absorbed and it wants more and more like feed the beast, yes. judging people below. Never satisfied. Um, yeah, never satisfied, you know, rattling off platitudes about the most surface culture things, only caring about other things to the degree that other people care about them enough to fit in. You know, yep. it's just it's all very surface level. And I think Patrick acts more as a, a metaphor on that level. So when I come back to it, I don't I don't know. It just in my head, I don't I don't really care if any of it is real or, or in his head, because mm-hmm. I, th- I think it it mm-hmm. it acts on a, a bigger level. 
for me. Obviously, there's certain parts in this thing where towards the end, the the big like third act kind of push. He's at the ATM and the ATM says, feed me a stray cat. <laughs> and he grabs right. the cat and like, you know, and I'm like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Obviously, I don't know of any ATMs who request that. Thank God. Yes. But uh, so that stuff. And there's also that great part where he's firing his gun at the cops and the cop car blows up yes. and he looks at his gun like what the fuck? <laughs> hilarious i think it's great yeah. i think it's pretty safe to say that stuff if you're just being textual about this is in his head um but i think he is a serial killer i guess if, if you really if if you really want to nail me down on it i i really i really do think he is a serial killer and i think it's more hilarious if all these things actually did happen <laughs> that's that sounds dark i know but let me explain uh, <laughs> we're judging I'm waiting it is it is hilarious because it it talks to the culture and the people that he surrounds himself with that uh that if the, all this did happen mm-hmm. it's people are confusing each other for other people they they explain the paul allen thing away at the end and also he was killing people in paul allen's apartment and using his apartment as a meat locker essentially <laughs> and he goes back to check on on the bodies and there's a like a real estate agent there they've painted over all the blood stains and all the stuff and she's like you get out of here and stuff and and, in my head too when i first saw this i was like oh this this was all in his head but Mm -hmm. the funnier part of me thinks no 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 this apartment is worth way too much to let a a bunch of horrible murders bring down the price this is you know location 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 right uh i'm just gonna paint over the blood stains and ignore this stuff because i gotta get my commission out of this thing well to be the devil's advocate here yeah um here's where i think you're wrong and i'm gonna tell you so um (laughs) (laughs) ding 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 round one fight um (laughs) i think that the fact that we stopped seeing willem dafoe Mm -hmm. after uh you know patrick bateman's like i'm caught i'm done we stopped seeing yeah. willem dafoe that also makes me think he never met willem dafoe willem dafoe is an entire creation of his idle brain because he doesn't do anything at work yeah. but also <laughs> um uh they don't like they they just immediately go to like oh we're just gonna get rid of all the bodies and not call the cops and there's not gonna be any crime scene tape at all and nothing it's just all of a sudden like hey we're showing this now that's where I think the satire comes in, because and that and that's what that's what I mean. I think I think your reading can be right, and I think really any interpretation of this could be right because I think the film is constructed in such a way that nobody's ever actually right, but nobody's ever uh, really wrong. Mm-hmm. And so for me, and that's why I feel like yeah, the the practicalities of like yeah, okay, there's like uh, eight bodies in here. I can't reasonably ignore it, or you know, I but but in the, the comic sense, in the the greater more metaphorical right. sense. Just right. cleaning it up and be like, yeah, fuck it. I'm going to get my 30%. <laughs> uh, feels very in tune with how this culture is represented in the film. Guys, let's just get into it. Enough of the it. floor play. Let's, do let's get off the fence when it comes to <laughs> whether this was real or not. The events of this film, like, you know, I, okay. I personally believe they happened. I yeah. think he was actually doing the killing. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the the real estate agent you know i i it tracks with me blake that's you know this is manhattan like (laughs) this is probably like it was a pretty big apartment too that's easily over a million dollars so it's like i can't afford to not sell this apartment i need to get my commission yeah Mm -hmm. and like i can only imagine like 
cutthroat real estate agents, especially in the 80s, where it was like free markets run amok. I mean, we oh, yeah. we touched upon this with the RoboCop episode with uh, the Reaganomics. It's like, yes. yep. fuck it, let's just have free markets, see what happens. Yeah. And, like we have all the issues, <laughs> which this film exemplifies with like all these yuppies and businessmen going crazy, these psychos. Yeah. So it makes sense to have like a serial killer uh, in their midst. So like, I think some of the killings weren't real, but I for sure think most of them were. Hmm. I think the only suspect one that probably didn't happen was the final prostitute mm-hmm. uh, when she was escaping. Uh, he just tossed the chainsaw at her? Yeah, where he tosses the chainsaw. I think that was not real because mm-hmm. he's going down the hallway <laughs> naked, covered in blood <laughs> with a chainsaw. Mm-hmm. In the middle of the night, screaming <laughs> She's in an screaming. apartment building. Yeah, <laughs> people would have woken up. Or yeah. the more darker take that did happen, and people just don't care. Right. Yep. That's that's where my brain went because yeah. I, I okay. This is this is going to sound fucked up, and I don't mean this. Uh, I, I would help somebody in, in like a real world scenario, but I put myself in this position when I was watching this movie. I'm like, bitch, I would not answer the door. Uh-uh. <laughs> Not me. It's three in the morning. Got somebody screaming, pounding on my door. Nope. That's a big I'm not home uh, for me. (laughs) I've seen horror films. Yeah, I'm I'm kidding. But like, but in my head, I'm like, I can see people rationalizing that. Be like, I don't want to get involved with this. I hear chainsaws. I see some blood. There's people running. No, not in my apartment, buddy. Do you know how much I paid for this? This rug is new. So it's like this you is know, a genuine it's, Persian, <laughs> exactly. So he and Paul Allen does live in a building with a bunch of other really rich uh, yuppies, right? So I don't know, mm. but in mm. but in my so in my head the things I agree with you, Armand. I think some happened. I think some didn't. I think the third act where we introduce the the um, ATM that wants stray cats and stuff. The 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 cops, you know, cars blowing up, him shooting yes. the security guard in the face. <laughs> I don't think that happened i think he kind of went full delusional on us and like panicked or whatever because those are the most outlandish Mm -hmm. like kills and things in the movie so if 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 there was if there were murders that didn't happen i would say it would be those for me the director uh mary heron Mm -hmm. she said on record she regrets putting in the feed me a stray cats (laughs) really (laughs) she thought it was like that broke it because, like, that's where the narrative comes in. Like, it was all in his head. She was like, I shouldn't have put that in. Yeah. Oh. Because she likes the ambiguity of it all. And she was like, that was a little too outlandish yeah. to put in. Which might frame the whole movie a certain way if the director kind of revealed yeah. her intent in making it. I, I, I got to be honest. I don't think that that scene at all makes any impact if it, you take it out on how I feel about this movie. Lay it out. Yeah. So I think, and I understand why you guys say what your, your opinions are that, it, you know, some of it's real a little bit, maybe a couple of it's not. I don't think most of this is real. And I'll tell you why. Because A, like I said, Willem Dafoe just vanishes at a certain point. They mm-hmm. stop investigating Paul Allen's disappearance. Um, and they don't even try and connect anybody with the bodies that they had in his apartment. If he, if he didn't... uh just uh go missing or if he didn't end up in london like patrick bateman's quote-unquote lawyer said oh i had dinner with him twice last week right then they wouldn't be able to sell his apartment because he didn't just be you know what i'm done i'm going to going to london um the fact that uh the 
when he's running to his office because he's running from oh my god i'm caught he runs mm-hmm. into the same building twice it looks like but it said he gets called mr smith one time and then shoots that guy and then pulls out a pen the next time i think he fully fully um fabricated the first building entrance i think he fabricated obviously the atm scene and shooting the lady and shooting the cops and the chainsaw thing i think it's all in his head because the number one thing is he's taking medication throughout the movie and then he at the very end when he's really spiraling he downs a bunch of it you're blowing my mind because like especially in that third act where he's going down that rampage and goes Mm -hmm. back into his office building to hide. Mm -hmm. My brain went to, okay. Cause like you, you see the world trade center in the background. There's two towers. Mm -hmm. So I thought his company complex was two buildings, but like, you're totally right. It was probably the same building because all the establishing shots, the exterior shots Mm -hmm. was one building, Mm -hmm. never two. I don't know why my brain was like, okay, went into the other building now. Me, see, that's that is actually is a really great point because I I didn't think about the medication, yes. like that that never like came into my brain mm-hmm. uh, regarding this. But they, but I do remember those shots. Now that you mentioned, I remember seeing this that specific shot with the pill bottle has mm-hmm. his name and stuff on it. Um, in my head, I assumed it was two buildings, like one of those like just like Wall Street corporate buildings. They all kind of look the same. You have to go through one to the other. I just made a lot of assumptions there, but that's a good point. That's a great point, Dave. And I think that's absolutely valid. Yes. I'm still standing by my, <laughs> my thing, but, but I don't, but that's the thing about this movie. I don't think you're wrong. I don't think there's a, a, a wrong reading of it. Cause you've obviously thought about it. Yeah. Yeah. That's where the ambiguity comes in because like it's, the way you put it, it's like, okay, obviously none of this happened, but some of it still happened. Yeah, I and think I think so. that's the point of the film. Mm-hmm. It makes you question what actually happened. Yes. Was it all fake? Well, I don't think so. Some of it happened. Mm-hmm. But then again, it's like we have the ending of the film where he's with his coworkers. He's his lawyer. And this is after the point. And this is when I first watched it. I just saw the part where he's like confessing. Like, mm-hmm. oh, man, I, I killed like 20, 40 people. Like, I'm, I, <laughs> there's no way. I just wanted to get ahead of it and tell you. And then he sees his lawyer the next day and he's like, <laughs> funny joke, man. Oh, man. That's hilarious. Oh, man. And he even pinned it on Patrick Bateman. I am Patrick, Patrick Bateman. Yeah. That all happened. And he's like, I don't know who you are. Yeah. I have to leave. And it's like, what the hell has happened? Right. What Dude, actually happened? Did mm-hmm. that happen? Did any of that happen? Exactly. Like, what's, what's and and to, to that point, too, where he's like, he's like, you know, I don't know you. And he's like, well, I had... um excuse me, I had dinner in London with Paul Allen. I'm like, well, obviously he doesn't even know who Patrick Bateman is. People don't know who he is because they confuse him for other people. They confuse all each other for all these different people. Mm. And so he's like, oh, I had dinner with Paul Allen in London three days ago. I'm like, did you though? Because <laughs> you obviously don't even know like your clients specifically. None of these people do. Uh, so I think that's, again, it's it's all ambiguity. I think it's perfectly constructed to get us into this situation where none of us are going to win. <laughs> I just had a thought. Thing. Okay, go ahead. And I don't have a muffin, so let me let me uh, <laughs> go with it here. <laughs> what if um, the guy we see on screen is not actually Patrick Bateman, and this guy killed the actual Patrick Bateman and has assumed his life? <laughs> okay, I said there's a lot of readings of this film, that, um, and That's you can't one. be wrong. 
it's a new one, but it's probably a wrong one. <laughs> think about it. The, somebody called him Mr. Smith. His lawyer didn't think he's Patrick Bateman. A couple of people mistake him for Mark Halberstrom or whatever. <laughs> well, Marcus Halberstrom is a real person. We see him. Yeah. <laughs> I'm just saying. For sure. Uh, okay. Yeah, I, I accept <laughs> your point of view, though I deeply disagree. I'm not saying I think that's what happened. I'm just saying that's a thought I had, and I had to get it out of my possibility. Very low probability. (laughs) Here's the thing. So, like with Willem Dafoe's character, I was going to say this earlier Mm -hmm. because, like, he even so, like, he's like trying to see like everyone's alibi and like where they were and in the disappearance of Paul Allen, Mm -hmm. and Paul Allen was i think having dinner with people or something like that and patrick bateman reportedly was with him mm-hmm. or like patrick bateman was with other people even though he wasn't there and it's like did willem dafoe get false information like mm-hmm. once again it's like okay did someone else confuse who patrick bateman was in that instance so it's yeah. like Who's who when it comes to this, you know? Yeah, and that's also another point. Not only who's who, but, like, nobody – everybody's the same, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Everybody's so similar in, like, their, uh, like, approach to life and how they, they look, their business cards, their their suits, the drugs they do, and all this stuff. Every, they're all essentially interchangeable uh, psychos mm-hmm. to a degree. And so when, uh, you know, Kimball's like, oh, you were actually here at dinner – like they gave you an alibi, and here right. it is, directly from me, Kimball, the cop. Here's your alibi, and Patrick. Oh, thanks. I'll take that alibi. Yep, I remember I, now. And like, but it makes sense to me what they set up before that people would think Patrick Bateman was with them. I have a question, please. I don't remember off the top of my head, so I don't. I don't want to speak incorrectly. Does anyone ever talk about the disappearance of Paul Allen aside from him and Kimball? Yes, I, 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 I'm pretty sure they do. Because I know they say his name, but I don't think anybody else says he's disappeared or he's gone. I want to disagree with you, but I don't have the evidence top of mind because I feel like I remember a point where somebody brings up Paul Allen not, not being around. Okay, but like if if somebody says he's not mm-hmm. around, that does not mean that he disappeared. So if... Mm-hmm. Follow my thread here. Okay. If he did in- entirely create all of it, including Kimball, no one ever says Paul Allen disappeared and no one's actually investigating it. So maybe Paul Allen just fucking moved. <laughs> just packed up his bags. And just, <laughs> He's like, I'm out. I'm leaving. Bye. <laughs> I've done enough cocaine <laughs> for my life. I, I got to move to the country. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Think maybe anybody does. Right to be like none of his coworkers bring him up. Mm-hmm. Well, they, obviously you you could you could play Blake's point. Oh, they don't care. But still, that would be a thing that somebody would at least notice. Like, oh, this person who is obviously got a better business card than the rest of us uh, mm-hmm. stopped showing up to work. Yeah, and I think if this was more set in like a uh, reality, I guess because mm-hmm. this 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 feels very like almost surreal to a degree. Just yeah. the the level of disconnectedness between everybody. There's right. like a surreal quality to this film that doesn't make it feel literal. You know, cause I feel like this movie was more, like more literal feeling like, yeah, pe- more people would talk about these things. And uh, but it would lose a lot of the the interesting qualities and the actual, uh, you know, I don't because I don't think this movie it, I don't think it matters. At the end of the day, I don't think it matters whether any of this was real or not, because mm-hmm. 
we get the ideas out of it. We get what we're supposed to out of it, the representation of the culture and how people uh, in high statuses and stuff can ignore things, misinterpret things, confuse each other because it doesn't matter to them. Nothing matters to them. It's just the pursuit of self, period. And I think we get that out of this film, regardless of the reality or unreality of this whole thing. It's kind of a, a like a almost a MacGuffin in a way, like people are trying to figure this out, but it doesn't really matter, in my opinion. Hmm. I agree. It's more of a caricature of like that whole subculture, I guess. Mm-hmm. That's like how I reflection. read it, at least. Yeah. I mean, I think that's like ultimately the message, mm-hmm. but then like the framework like the the vehicle for that message it's like it's this surrealist uh movie where it's like nothing is reliable information you don't know what's actually happening and that's yeah. not really the point the yeah. point is how these characters interact with each other which is all surface level yeah. they do not they don't care at all like even like the close friendships of like his coworkers, the broy bros <laughs> ultimately they don't give a shit about each other no not no, at all it's totally. almost like they're just a commodity for their own life. And like yes. maybe what's going on up in there and all these different characters isn't much. Yeah. They just don't care. No. Yeah. Yeah. yeah could be. I, I just immediately thought of the scene where he breaks up with Reese Witherspoon. I don't remember her character's name, but Evelyn, Evelyn. Sure. Um, uh, when he breaks up with Evelyn, how she's making the scene, he's like, oh, I got to leave. I got to leave. And at the very end of it, she just like her, like crying, everything just kind of goes away and it could play either way. That she honestly didn't care because she's having an affair with one of his coworkers, or that didn't happen, and she was just like, "Okay, he's leaving. Cool." Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, yeah. I, I, and I think almost any scene that Patrick's involved in, you can you can play that game of mm-hmm. is this real? Is this not? Because almost every scene that he's interacting with other people, there's something weird <laughs> going on, <laughs> or, or something weird about it that you can be like, "Hey, what what is that? What's going on here?" Um, which also I think makes this film infinitely interesting. And the rewatchability of it right. is is endless, in my opinion. There's something always off yeah. with every mm-hmm. single scene. Even the scene of him doing calisthenics, crunches. <laughs> yes. Texas Chainsaw <laughs> Massacre is on in the background. And I'm, I'm watching it. I'm like, is this actually happening? <laughs> <laughs> He's working out with like 70s horror movie in the background. Leather face of the chainsaw. Which then when the chainsaw scene happens, like, oh, it's a oh. callback to, okay, I can see why. That was yeah. in the background, but it's like, it's just weird. It yeah, just gives oh. you this, and maybe that's the point too, because like we have this high level uh, message where it's like, see like the hollowness and the vapidness of like uh, corporate America and all these people, like they're monsters on the inside. They're all psychopaths, mm-hmm. uh, ultimately to be a part of this machine uh, in a corporate America. But also it's like, it gives you the sense of unnerve, unnerved uh, feelings inside as you're watching. It's like, yeah. I'm not comfortable. And it's like <laughs> that it's achieved through <laughs> the cinematography, the direction, mm-hmm. even the, the the writing. Because like you have like a seemingly normal scene, like the first scene in the movie where it's like he's ordering a drink and mm-hmm. then it's just this really aggressive uh, <laughs> verbal attack to this bartender and then back to normal. It's like, whoa, I just got whiplash. Like, <laughs> what? It's not what I expected. And that sets up the whole tone for the movie. So it's like, mm-hmm. maybe that's the point. Yeah, no, it's it's a it's a great point. And I actually just thought of something too. a question that I have for both of you. Is mm. there a character in this movie that either of you li- like genuinely like? Oh, or have sympathy for? Um, Of course, Jean. Yeah, yeah, she's just the secretary. And she yeah. 
likes Patrick. Patrick mm-hmm. has some sort of feelings towards her enough to not kill her with a nail right. gun. So it's like there's that little shred of empathy and mm-hmm. like what makes him human right then and there. So he's not just completely cold blooded killer. So right. he's like, nah, I'm not, nah, I'm, I can't, can't do it. Not to her. Yeah. Yeah. I would say I liked her, but I had, I felt bad for um, the sex worker that he returns to. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. felt bad for her for sure. But uh, actually, I, I had a thought, um, uh, Armand, when you said, the callback, the chainsaw was a callback. So was the threesome. The porn? Yes, the porn oh, was a threesome. That's true. Yeah, so uh, that's that's a fair point, too, because if you want to read it that way, it's like we, we had the setup of the chainsaw. We see him watching this. We see him watching porn. Uh, he's very into videotapes. We know all that. in the background. Yeah, he's not yeah. actually actively watching. It's all in the background. It's on the background. So he's absorbing this stuff. So maybe that feeds into his delusions, too, Dave, if you want to go that yeah. way. So I was going to say, like, that I was going to say I could go both ways, but I can't think of how it would go the way where they don't care. Um, people don't care. I think that that would lend more to that theory that he's making it all up because maybe he obviously he didn't. Well, not obviously, but uh, he, in my opinion, did not chainsaw murder that girl at the end. So did he also not have a threesome because there's just things he saw earlier in the movie that we saw him see? It's all well, a fantasy. Mm-hmm. The murdering and the sexcapades. Yes, that this character goes on. It's all. It's all in his head. It's like mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. he's he's doing his his desk job in Manhattan, yes. mm-hmm. and for his excitement, he's visualizing, thinking about all this stuff, killing people, having sex with prostitutes. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that the only time where he, in my opinion, for my for this thought of this movie, the only mm-hmm. time where he actually almost kills somebody for real for the first time ever is when he almost kills Gene, and then he's like, no, I can't actually do it. It's, it's That's a really good theory. Yeah, Go it, on, it, it is a good theory, because I think that uh, another way uh, to, to read it as well is like just because we see the setup of like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, we get the chainsaw later, the threesome mm-hmm. with the porn and stuff, doesn't necessarily mean that all that stuff is made up later. It gives it gives an opportunity to read it that way, and I think yeah. that's a really valid way to read that too. But it could also just be like, hey, uh, this stuff is like my white noise machine. The screams of women <laughs> uh, getting murdered and the, the screams of like women in like sexual situations from the porn. Like it's just I, I love this stuff. He's just he just absorbs himself and he loves that. Um, it, it fuels him. Right. Yeah. And so then thus he he also kills like it satiates him in between the kills. So I don't think th- you, you know, I don't know. I think because like, OK, here's the thing. I think we're both right. I think there's a way to interpret this as like some of it's real, some of it's not real. Yeah. But also, uh, Dave, with yours, it's like it could all be fake. Yeah. Because like that shred of humanity in that scene with Gene, where he, yeah, you know, she's over, they're hanging out, and he's like planning to kill her. That could be a hundred percent the reality. It's like yeah. he has a fantasy in his head of like murdering people, yes. having sex with all these different people, and when it comes down to it. He can't do it because mm-hmm. it's like, oh, I can like think about all these things. It's like, oh, I want to do all these things. And then right when it's like, OK, I'm ready. Uh, I can't do it. I yeah. can't do it for real. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's interesting because uh, the, the reason I had asked you both that question is because for me, Jean is also that person. She's the only person in this entire film that gets a, a little bit of a 
I wouldn't even necessarily say an arc, but more backstory, more context emotionally to who she is. She's like, you know, yeah. I was trying this and I'm really trying to adjust things in my life. And, you know, I, I feel like I relate so much to Jean, you know, when I first joined uh, the, the world uh, here as an adult and you're like, you're mm-hmm. working for places <laughs> and I'm like, Oh, just like this mousy little guy. I just want to like, just be Your eyes know, are big I, with optimism. Yeah. I just want to, you know, do things in the world and, and be something and uh, that, you know, the people are just the Buffy crushing you <laughs> <laughs> and stuff. But like we we get some of those things. We get uh, some of her journey in there and we get to really feel for her and the way she reacts to Patrick. You know, she goes to put her spoon from the sorbet onto his coffee table. He's like, back in the thing. And she's yeah. like, so sorry. I'm just like, so sorry. And I don't know those like little things, those little touches in the way Jean is played uh, feels the most realistic yes. uh, human thing that we get in this movie. And so. I think having that scene was very interesting. And I think that definitely plays into your point, Dave, of yeah. the the unreality yeah. of everything. And uh, to play on that further, when she goes into Patrick's office and finds his book of drawings, yep, that's where yep. it's like he's literally just fantasizing about it. And, and she's like, oh, my God, he almost tried to kill me. Probably. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> maybe. As a psychopath. Because I think that lends massive credence to your theory of like, it's all a fantasy. All mm-hmm. of it. Yep. Yeah, I think because so. Then you see it like he's, you know, in his office doing nothing, just doodling <laughs> of like all these horrific things right. to people, and then she uncovers it's like, oh, this guy's, this guy has massive problems. Yeah, actually, yeah. I would I would say um, that another time where he maybe almost tried to kill and then couldn't is the bathroom scene. Uh, with, with, uh where he goes to chase the guy in the bathroom. And uh, goes to strangle him <gasps> yes. from behind, yes. oh, and then the guy turns around Lewis. and thinks he wants to like, yeah, have sex He's with him. Coming on to him, yeah. And yeah. then he f- panics and leaves. I think both times that he panic that he well, he doesn't panic again with Gene, but both times where he's like, <laughs> yeah, call me. Uh, uh, I think both times where he doesn't do it, I think that's the real reality because he wants to, and he's so enraged by uh, Lewis in the moment that he's like, I'm gonna, I'm gonna do it, I'm gonna do it, and he goes to do it, and he's like. Uh, no, I can't. And then he washes his gloves. <laughs> that, I he, never, he never, <laughs> he never cleans up after himself at any other time. I did get a laugh out of that. He goes yeah. right to the stink and is washing his gloves off. <laughs> it's good stuff. It's also interesting. Mm. We talked about this before, how like his fantasy internal monologue to himself is always in a mirror. In that scene in the bathroom, when mm. he's putting on the leather OJ Simpson gloves, <laughs> Uh huh. You see the you see the it's in the mirror. It's perfectly framed where yeah he and then his glove that he's putting on is in a separate mirror. Yeah, there's a disconnect between the reality and then mm-hmm. him attempting to do the the killing, the fantasy. That's um, a great point. Yeah, that's a really great point. See, I've seen this movie like a bunch of times, and just talking about it now with two people who haven't seen it that much, like uh, you know, brings a new perspective for me as well. For like the yeah. next time I watch this thing. Mm-hmm. Change your I minds. I'm changing minds over here. This brick wall is changing minds, sir. Okay, <laughs> sir, sir, relax. <laughs> okay, I'll go back sir. to breaking. This is a Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> I, my mind has not been changed per se, but I do have a new perspective. So Dude, thank that, you, that thank you a, both. That's oh god, it's it's. <laughs> dare I say it, it? It it coexists with my theory. Okay. Because I want yeah. to think like, okay, this is like this high level piece of art. It's like, what's real? What's not real? This is like a truly inside the mind of an unhinged person. But at the same time, you can still have that message 
by having this all be fabricated because mm-hmm. ultimately this guy has mental problems. He's yeah. completely unhinged. So it's like either way, whether it happened or it didn't happen, it's it's still the same conclusion of like this dude has issues. And he's, yes. Yeah. He's either a real serial killer or he mm-hmm. fantasizes as one. The only right. thing that's like left as the outlier is like that uh, scene with uh, Paul Allen's apartment. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. why was the realtor so angry that he yep. was there? Yeah. You know? Mm-hmm. Interesting. That's the only thing. It's like, is it because he didn't have an appointment to view the apartment? Or is it because she knows he's somewhat involved with the murder of all those people? And she's like, get the fuck out of here. I'm just trying to sell this apartment, right. you know? Yeah. Or is that also fabricated in his mind? That she I love that. Anything that doesn't fit, you're like, ah, that was made up. <laughs> no, that does that fits. I'm just saying it fits. Why would she be angry? Why except would she in be his angry? brain, in his head, you know? Because he he because he's panicking in the whole third act. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Everyone knows. Right. I did this thing. Why would she also not know? Because at first she's nice, right? At first she's yeah. nice, and then there's a. I don't. I know if there's like an exact moment, but maybe there's a moment where it clicks in his head, like she knows, and then she starts being angry with him. Well, she the anxiety sets in. Mm-hmm. The anxiety sets in for sure. But he like opens the closet, you know, where he stashed the bodies, and that's when she finds him. You know, so it, uh-huh. in in the in the reading of of this being real, if uh-huh. you want to go that way, she mm-hmm. she knows she sees a guy who just comes into the apartment with the, like I think he has a key, opens that closet specifically, and she's like, um, I think she you know can make that connection if she was real you know yeah. if she if if you want to say this was all cleaned up she knows where those bodies were and she sees this guy who comes into the apartment goes right to that closet immediately and opens it up like yeah like uh you don't have an appointment leave never come right. back here and yeah. all that stuff so again i think the brilliance of how it was filmed um, i agree with that here's the thing both. okay so i <laughs> i think we're i think we're entrenched right now we are uh, we're talking in circles yes so the ending specifically mm-hmm. where we get to the end of the movie and it's zooming in on his face and he reveals there is no catharsis. He learned nothing. In both of our viewpoints, whether it, whether all of it happened, mm-hmm. whether none of it happened, what is the point of him coming to no cathartic moments? Like, what's the point of that? I'm curious what Dave has to say. Okay. About that with Yay, his me first. Um I think that it could be uh two things. A, he does have the you know, he is a psychopath and does have the mental instability and didn't learn anything because you can't when you are a psychopath and you don't think you've done anything wrong and that's part of being a psychopath. So that's why there's no catharsis because I mean, how could I have learned anything I didn't do anything wrong? Also, I think that he didn't learn anything because he didn't do anything and there was no real punishment for him because nothing happened. He almost tried to kill two people, but he didn't. And then because he didn't kill anybody else and just fantasized about killing like whatever, 20 some odd people. I think that that's why there's no catharsis because he didn't do anything. Ergo didn't get punished and learned a lesson. That's valid. Mm-hmm. If you can't I- do anything, you can't have like an epiphany moment. Mm hmm. And and I think my my thoughts on this fall somewhat in line with yours, Dave, and the and the fact that the only thing he can really feel like as a psychopath and as what's demonstrated in this film is like 
like lust and uh anger mm-hmm. and um vanity van- yeah vanity so i think the the only reason he's upset you know about all the stuff is that he thinks he's gonna get caught it's a self-preservation thing mm-hmm. um and less of a like oh i f- i feel bad or, or or anything for what i've done i don't think there's catharsis for him because i don't believe he has the capability to feel those kinds of things i i don't think right. we've been shown that mm-hmm. he he's uh emotionally tethered to any <laughs> real sense of, of feeling and emotion like we like normal people regular people feel yeah. and um so yeah he kind of got yeah. off essentially he got away with it mm-hmm. uh whether it's real or not uh, i don't think there's i don't think he's gonna ever find catharsis i don't think it's more indicative of of his future obviously of like no matter what happens i'm not gonna really feel anything no sense of of closure or or anything really this mm-hmm. feeling is going to continue forever it's just who i am which is nothing it's nihilistic it's mm-hmm. a complete <laughs> nihilistic you know yeah. uh viewpoint of of the world and of things and he only cares insofar as how it affects him personally yeah so. i mean it makes sense like even given the time period like the 80s was truly a time of excess yes and he he, he has that uh, yeah. he has yeah. so much money so much I guess power with mm-hmm. over people because of his money. So it's like he could truly do anything. So there is this like indulgence happening. Yeah, at the same time, not enough because he wants more. He wants to start killing people because yeah. there is no joy in, you know, like eating or like, you know, like the finer yeah. things in life. He's like, no, I want more. Right. What's more? Killing people. So yeah. it's like <laughs> yeah. there's there's that disconnect. So like it's like I, I'm on I'm in both camps. I could see where both of you are coming from because like as I originally interpreted this, I was like, there's no catharsis because he wasn't caught. Mm-hmm. I think eventually he will be caught. Mm-hmm. And who knows what that looks like? Yeah. It, it doesn't happen in uh, American Psycho 2. I watched a little bit of that. Oh it was, no. It was dog shit. <laughs> oh no, yeah. Oh poor Armand. Oh no. I was like, eee. it looked like a bad Nickelodeon show. <laughs> Dude, not to not to divert from this, the, it was retroactively made into titled American Psycho too. Really, it was made as a different film. You're talking about the Mila Kunis thing, yes. right? Yeah, it was made as a different film, and it, it was really bad. And so I, they like recut it um, and labeled it as American Psycho too. Wow, yeah, no. it has nothing to do with the original or the novel or anything. It's just interesting. Yeah, after, well, I hope after the author movie, got a paycheck. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> It's yeah. Anyway, sorry. That movie's awful. Big don't recommend for me. <laughs> <laughs> oh God. Okay. But yeah, like there is no catharsis because one, he didn't do anything, or he wasn't caught. So it's yeah. like, it's like, say we go with the the theory that it happened. Like he kills all these people, mm-hmm. and then it's covered up by like corrupt real estate agents mm-hmm. to sell apartments or land, and it's like. Oh, I did all this stuff and there's no repercussions for my actions. There is no, I, I haven't learned anything. Right. Yeah. You know? So it's like, it, it just feeds into his, uh, I don't know, psychosis mm-hmm. where it's like, it's just going deeper and deeper down the rabbit hole of depravity and like, yeah, psychoticness. It's like, that's a theory. Or, absolutely. He was just fantasizing it all and uh, he learned nothing. Yeah. Yeah. Nothing's going to fill that void. 
mm-hmm. regardless, like nothing is is going to give him that release. And the the introspection in that like monologue is actually very interesting to me because I feel like it's kind of the first time in the entire film that he talks like that or like is looking for something from himself emotionally. I, I guess hmm. that is uh, true. Yeah. So so I, I I find that little bit interesting, but also. Uh, it's a nice little insight into his character and fascinating that it only comes at this peak moment where he, he thinks he's he's going to be caught or he thinks he got away with it or what have you. He's like, right. this is the little bit of emotional thing I'm looking for in its absent mm. completely. Dave, how do you feel about that? Um, I think that the introspection that he has in my theory of things it comes from him being like okay i literally can't do the one thing that i've been fantasizing about all this time and uh it's driving me crazy but i still want to do it so yeah whatever i guess in his yeah, head that's that's, that's kind of what i think if if i'm talking about that um he just doesn't he can't do it. He can't bring himself to do it. So how can there be a catharsis? Cause he never gets to try the thing that he is obsessing over. And then when he has this whole psychosis moment where he's whole breakdown and re- detachment from reality, mm-hmm. he realizes that it was all like nothing. And all of this is just this cycle and he's just never going to get out of it. So where's the catharsis going to be? Do you think he'll ever get out of it? No, because no. either he's going to eventually do the things he's fantasizing about or he's just going to drive himself crazy and end up losing everything because he can't bring himself to murder anybody. That's fair. I, I, I think he he would he's never going to stop uh, regardless if it's right. fantasy or not. He's, mm-hmm. he's not going to stop because he right. needs help. Yes. Um, and he's not going to get that help. Uh, he doesn't yeah. have it enough in him to be like, hey, this is a problem. I should seek help. It's like, no, no, no. <laughs> I'm gonna get away with this, right? Uh, and 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 make it look really cool while I'm doing it. <laughs> or maybe he won't get away with this because his secretary found his secret book exactly. where he's doodling things, and all she has to do is go to his boss and be like, "Look at the crazy shit I found." <laughs> <laughs> Listen, but, Patrick, I don't want to fire you, but uh, I think you need to go see a psychiatrist. <laughs> gotta go see one of them shrinks. Yeah, I think the only person who that's a great point. The only person who that could get Patrick caught is Jean. She's the only one with some uh, like actual humanity in her. And the only one who's like, hey, sees his drawings and stuff like this is a problem. (laughs) Something's really (laughs) wrong here. (laughs) I think she's the only one capable of actually getting him in trouble. Yes. Um, You know what, Dave? You changed my mind because like. Yeah, (laughs) I did a thing, guys. Because as I was watching. That scene where she's looking through the book, I'm like, this is totally different than how I'm picturing all this. Mm-hmm. It could be because I pictured it wrong this whole time <laughs> and that it was all in his head because that makes it makes the most sense. Because I, I read that after watching this film because I was mm-hmm. like, what the fuck did I just watch? Was it all in? I even read that before I watched the movie. I was like, is it all in his head? I'm like, what the fuck? That'd be fucking lame. It's like, it was all a dream. Yeah, I know, right? Like that terrible trope. (laughs) (laughs) And then watching this, I'm like, clearly it wasn't like, some of it has to be real. But like, if you go with the the mindset of like, this is all him fantasizing it because of like, his like job that isn't fulfilling. And Mm -hmm. like, this would be fulfilling. He's thrill seeking. Mm -hmm. And like, when the opportunity presents itself, he can't do it because like, he isn't 
fully depraved. It's yeah, like, oh, let yeah. me kill somebody for this thrill. I can't actually do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. So it's like, and like him being caught in, quote, caught in the end, he just doesn't know it yet. Mm-hmm. Makes sense. Yeah. 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 And I think that's exactly uh exactly what happens because in each in each thing where he freaks out, when he starts to panic because Kimball's there interrogating him, but then he just stops showing up and then he's like, Cool, now I'm gonna start murdering people there. So uh but none of that happened because he fantasized about killing Paul Allen and thought it was real and fantas and then not I guess not fantasized, but created Kimball coming into his office to talk to him about this stuff. Um, and maybe maybe he didn't create the person, but maybe he created the conversation because, you know, Gene does right. say, oh, this person's here for you. Mm-hmm. So I don't think he would I don't think he created anything with her. But I think that. Each time he almost gets caught and then nothing happens, it's like, oh, OK, so now I'm going to start focusing on all this stuff that I know that I'm not going to get caught doing, but it's just a fantasy. Because also, why would the detective want to go out to eat with him? Exactly. Yeah, no, for sure. I thought that was, I read that as more of like a, a New York thing. People go out to lunch. Like, <laughs> it's like, I felt it was Kimball uh, meeting Patrick where Patrick is at as a yeah. detective. Mm-hmm. Because like, they, they're all about their, their lunch meetings and coffee meetings and all this right. stuff. That's yeah. still a thing uh, today. But um, I, I saw that as, as Kimball, like, you know, trying to not get in his good graces, but like just meet Patrick where he's at to like make him feel comfortable in in like his own kind of like environment to to get him talking like yeah. as a detective tactic. Well, also the other thing is um, when Patrick asks Kimball questions, Kimball answers them, and detectives don't do that. Like he gives away information to Patrick. Why would he do that? We don't know if Kimball's a good detective. To be clear, okay, <laughs> fair, yeah. <laughs> This is where you were, right? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Well, yeah, that's the yeah. thing. It's like, you bet. Like, just here's your alibi, son. <laughs> or or he could be playing 40 chess like, oh, you yeah. were here knowing that he wasn't there. Mm-hmm. Right. Oh, right. yeah, I was there. Oh, he lied. Okay. So yeah. he's clearly a suspect. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> see, that kind of stuff for sure I can see detectives doing. But when uh, uh, not regarding his alibi, but oh, where was he? Uh, how, how? What have you heard about him? And Kimball's like, yeah, let me tell you everything I know. <laughs> 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 so that I think I think Kimball does come in and the first time and, uh, you know, tell me what you know about him, blah, blah, blah. And then that's probably it. I don't think he ever comes back. I don't think they ever go to lunch or any of that stuff. And I don't, I think he, uh, um, the girlfriend reported um, Paul Allen missing because he did just up and leave. And was like, nope, I'm done. And uh, when talking to Kimball, the first time he started panicking and having his psychosis and, and starts creating now this like, oh, he's after me. And then when nothing happens, and it just the detective just stops showing up. He Patrick Bateman has kind of forgotten about that part, and that's why the detective stops showing up. It kind of like leaves his mind because now he's got other things he wants to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, out of all the films mm-hmm. where it's like they're using that trope of like it's all a dream, mm-hmm. it's not. That's not really the focus. Mm-hmm. That right. seems to be the vehicle to showcase potentially. Yes, how. how psychotic and how these like big i guess bankers or people in wall street are truly predators not only like monetarily but also Mm -hmm. like them as people to be Mm -hmm. a part of this system because like i remember watching a nicholas cage movie Mm -hmm. and i think it was next and there's an element in that film it's like 
three quarters of the way into the film where it's like he's he has the ability to like see things before they happen and they mm-hmm. can like okay make, make judgments that way. It got to the point where the character like I think dies and then like it's zooming out and it's back to near the beginning of the film where oh, he's like God. laying in bed. The entire movie theater groaned. Oh. <laughs> oh. Oh. Like seriously, we watched this entire movie and it was all oh, never mind. Didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> the film that we just watched, American Psycho, does not do that. Yes, no. I think that's why my theory works, and I'm I'm excited about my theories because <laughs> it doesn't. Because <laughs> I got something for, for once. I uh, can't wait to get on Reddit later. <laughs> I'm telling everybody. Upvote. Um, upvote. Reward. <laughs> um, because. It doesn't take away anything from the story. He's still a psychopath. Everyone around him still doesn't care that he's mentally unstable or even care about him enough to know that he's going through anything or whatever. Um, and it just it's still like the story is still intact and it doesn't make you go, nah, that's dumb because you're still like he's still a psychopath. He still has delusions of killing people or uh, he still draws it in a book and no one knows or cares. So the the story overall is the same. And that, and that's what I think is brilliant about it. That's what I kind of mentioned earlier. That's why I think whether I think the debate whether the stuff was real or not it doesn't matter. Right. Because for that exact reason, because no matter if it was, it can play both ways. But no, no matter if it was, it's it's almost a red herring for like the surface level of this film of was it real or not. But but when you dive into it, the implications are are pretty much the same. Mm-hmm. Um, in that that. Patrick is clearly disturbed and has, you know, issues and uh, the plate people and places he's surrounded by f- help him feed into that and do not help him in any way at all. So you're you're dead right. It's it's interesting. It doesn't feel like a fuck you rug pull yeah. like some of those do, because mm-hmm. I hate that trope. I hate that trope <laughs> yes. so much. People have been over it for 30 years and movies still have the fucking audacity to <laughs> to do it to us still. But like this is definitely not the case because. I have talked to people about this, like, oh, it was on his head. So it's just like, whatever. And I'm like, did you did you watch it or did you just like scrub through it or something? Like, did you watch yeah. this film? Because if you watch this film earnestly, I don't believe that's something people are only surface like going to get out of this. I think you're going to get more out of this if you actually watch and pay attention to this movie. Right. I agree. Listen to dialogue, see what the actors are doing, because like there is a clear message. Right. And it and is interesting conversation to mm-hmm. to dive into these things and the reality and unreality of these things. It is. It's interesting. That's why we've talked about it so much. But yes. um, at the end of the day, it I don't think it matters. Okay. Man, we we dissected. We played with the blood. <laughs> <laughs> we chopped it up. Cut its head off, put it in the fridge. Like, man, we really... I didn't expect to like go in this hard yeah, <laughs> over, sorry. It, over it, but like we did. And it was yes. awesome. I truly appreciate it. Yeah. Well, my next two questions are going to be much lighter. Yes. Yeah. Uh, do you think if this film was remade and set today, would it work? Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. 
Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. I have thoughts. Dave, I don't know if you want me to go first or not. Um, I'll go first. You seem to want to hold it close to the vest here. I think it could. I think if they remitted today, it was set today, I think it could, and I think it would be um, much more dark and depraved that everyone around him doesn't care. Um, because in today's age, mental health is a thing, and people are aware of it, and they want to help. So if it's set in the 2020s, and nobody cares that this guy is losing his mind and either murdering a bunch of people or delusionally fantasizing about murdering a bunch of people, I think it would be a much darker movie and it would kind of have to not be a satire. I think it would have to be a commentary on people and their attitudes toward mental illness. That's interesting because I, I do feel similar. I think that's an interesting take, Dave, because I, I do feel similarly. I think it can be remade and set in today because I took a different perspective on this. Mm-hmm. I took the the kind of power dynamic and like wealth disparity thing into play uh because you know today we we, it's less so from like the early 2000s but today more so Mm -hmm. and similarly to the 80s there's like a wild wealth disparity in the country and um there's a lot of narratives that have been coming out that that address these things yeah and i think you can dive into it even more i think you but 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 my thing though i think while you could remake this today and i think it could work i think it might come off a little on the nose for today's audiences uh because of it's it's more directly relating to our times and there's yeah. already stuff like like white lotus and things like that yes. that that dave into this topics but more recently the brandon cronenberg film infinity pool feels like the updated version of this in a way really? it's it's two different kind of stories but i love it and i highly recommend it but it also talks and discusses like mental health wealth disparity and the depravity of of the ultra wealthy and their ability to just get away with things i highly recommend it and a lot of those themes cross over from this film to that and in infinity pool is it it is there's satire but it's really fucking dark (laughs) it is is very very dark um but i think though i think it could work based off of of that but with a concern that it might be a little on the nose depending on how it's handled you know, I was going to pass on Infinity Pool. I mean, the trailer looked pretty good when I saw it, but I was like, 
But the way you paint it now is like a spiritual successor or a remake of like everything that we talked about with this movie. It's like, oh, well, obviously I want to watch that. And I noticed a trend recently. I mean, this yeah. is kind of nothing new, but it kind of seems more apparent. There's a lot of media, White Lotus, Infinity Pool, mm-hmm. uh, The Menu, yeah. Triangle of Sadness, where it's like they're taking pot shots at the affluence. You know, it's kind of deserved, uh, but yeah. like, it's kind of like revealing. It's like, oh, you think you're tough shit, but not really. You you guys are all clowns, essentially. And like, right. I feel like this would be apt for a remake right now because like that also dives into that to some degree where it's like whoever owns the right to American Psycho, I can easily see them like, OK, Peacock original, American <laughs> Psycho. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Absolutely. Yes. This is this is one of those films though that I I hope they I hope they don't remake because I think this is a very it's gonna happen. Sing- I know I know. <laughs> I know, man. I I hope not, but I it's going to happen eventually, but it's such a singular vision. I think it's done so well. It's like when Gus Van Sant did like a a psycho remake. I know he did like a shot for shot <laughs> thing, but it sucks. Like I'm sorry. It did on I purpose. Think, uh, he sabotaged know, it on purpose. It's just like, dang, dude. So I don't know. I I just I would do I feel... do a shot for shot remake. Sabotage it on purpose. It's like, <laughs> don't you I'm going to prove it? to you. But anyways, go on. No, no, I know it's. It, but I, I don't. I don't think it, it didn't work. Like that didn't work for me. It's been a long time since I've seen it. But I think something like this could. I would be nervous that it would cheapen the legacy of this original. Um, you know, I don't know. I would probably see it though. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> <laughs> you totally would. I think. Because, like, when I was watching this, I didn't know. I, like, Googled mid-movie. I tend to do this. It's like, okay, well, <laughs> what's, what's going on with this? Because I thought it was set in the year 2000. Because okay. in the establishing shot, I was like, is that the World Trade Center? Mm-hmm. And it's in the background. And I was like, okay. Like, wow, this is such an interesting movie. came out in 2000, right before you know, 9-11. Mm-hmm. And then during the nightclub scenes, I would hear, like, New Order. Yeah. And other 80s music. I'm like, hold up. <laughs> there's no way they're playing this type of music in 2000 and looked up it takes place in 1987 i was like okay this oh. makes sense now everything makes sense it's like okay this is like you know a yeah. caricature of the 80s and it's of right. course the 80s businessman <laughs> business <laughs> so like for a hot second it's like okay if they were to set it modern day it could work mm-hmm. and like you said dave mm-hmm. like it would be a different take it would be a darker take because like mental health is always an issue but also yes. like if they were to remake it now it would be on the nose with everything going on in the zeitgeist uh in our pop culture but like i feel like they, they could remake it but it would be a different story because mm-hmm. yes. like, yeah. with this it's the backdrop of the 80s so it's like okay crazy businessman but like that core story that we're talking about of like this man fantasizing about murdering people and having <laughs> sex with all these different women mm-hmm. you could still have that story yeah, but yes. like you can set it in whatever area you can set it in but like it's perfectly apt for like the 1980s you know no yeah. for sure yeah and making it a period piece as well even in the 2000s gives you a little bit of that um disconnection yourself get a little like hands-off approach because like i was saying my concerns of having it remade today would feel a little on the nose i think this film subverts that even for the time by setting it in the the excess of the 80s and stuff works best for this um but i think having it set you know roughly 10 plus years before 
that it came out gives us a little bit of arm's length mm-hmm. um, and a little bit of perspective to step back and, and view it as as something out, outside of the realm of reality as well. So I think that it being a period piece helps. And I don't know, a remake today, again, it could be set in modern day, but I, I think having having it be a period piece definitely helped it be perceived the way I think it, it was be, going for. It could be a period piece in the year 2000, because I know we all don't want to admit it. Mm-hmm. That was 23 years ago. Uh, <laughs> Uh, oh, it's God. it's okay. a it's a bigger time jump than 1987 it when it came out in 2000. Oh, no. Stop <laughs> it! Ah, everything hurts. <laughs> oh no! So like we we could set it in before the recession of 2008, after yeah. the 90s, like the the I don't even know what to call it the 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 awesome period of Clinton mm-hmm. where yeah. everything was fine, a balanced budget for the government. It's like. Yeah. We could set it in that prosperity time period. Yeah. And if you really wanted to make it like thought provoking, yeah. have like the ending be let's say he works in the World Trade Center. Oh yeah. Oh, <laughs> okay. Shit. Yeah. Oh. Oh okay. shit. Okay, Armand. Right. Whoever right. has the rights to American Psycho, you can have that for free. <laughs> <laughs> You'll take credit. Just a little little credit in the in the like Terminator. <laughs> You know what I'm talking about. All right. Can you say that again, but slowly, please? (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Okay. So, okay. Is this movie a prequel to Batman Begins? (laughs) (laughs) I didn't put that in the outline. I want to... <laughs> I want to get you guys on that one. Yes, because it goes with my theory that he fantasizes about killing people and he turns into a bat vigilante just so he can <laughs> he can now use it for justice. Yes. Wait, does that make the Nolan Batman films all completely fantasy as well in his head? <laughs> no, that's he the moves real. to Chicago and then it visualizes like I'm a vigilante. And- <laughs> Uh, <laughs> it's gonna happen oh god <laughs> oh i like that i'm 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 approaching the batman the nolan batmans from that angle from now on thank you dave it's actually You're patrick welcome. bateman <laughs> hello mr bateman <laughs> oh my god that's why heath ledger's joker says to take off the mask take oh. off the mask patrick mm. I go. feel a two hour plus long YouTube video coming our way. <laughs> <laughs> oh Lord. Here we go. That would be amazing. Okay. My final question. Would you recommend American psycho to a friend? Yes. <laughs> Unequivocally. He yes. He totally I did. did. <laughs> and I will continue to do so regardless of your thoughts and feelings towards film in general. My mom recommended Dave recommended my dentist recommended. You've got it, buddy. I have the film for you. Uh, no, for real though, I, I I do think people who enjoy film, um, whether it's horror or not, I think you can get something out of this. Just if you enjoy cinema, yes. I think there's a lot out of this that you can you can find and parse through and uh, find yourself thinking about for quite a long time. So yeah, it's a big recommend for me. Yeah, I think for me, I would recommend it to certain people, but uh, unequivocally pretend it doesn't exist to others. Because I feel like, yes, <laughs> like my mom, uh-uh, nope. <laughs> Love you too. Dave, are you okay? <laughs> <laughs> Not a chance. Because um, <laughs> that shit, uh, I recommended uh, everything everywhere all at once to her, and she got about 30 minutes in and turned it off. What? Yes. Did she turn it off when it said the end? 
She's like, wow, that was really <laughs> some Not movie. Efficient. No, that's <laughs> bad ending. She, she just didn't get it, I guess. But I think um, with American Psycho, you know, I would tell people who I know enjoy film and are able to look at films past the whole like, well, that was fun. I had a lot of popcorn. Um, mm-hmm. And and the Marvel I, people. Yes, um, but also I'm a Marvel person. It's fine. So uh, <laughs> I don't think so. You just watched this and really enjoyed it. It's true. I'm mm-hmm. able to uh, see these movies. Granted, it takes twice for me to understand things, but it's fine. It's um, fine. All in good time. But I would say yes. Just also to some people who are willing to see movies that are not just like popcorn films, but are not specifically cinephiles, I would recommend it with a caveat of, hey, this is a satire. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's a good way to put it. Yeah. Because like I was thinking like, okay, I would recommend this to some people, not like others, because like it would just fly over their heads. Right. Be, like yeah. they would get to the end and be like, I don't get it. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but like if you preface it, Hmm. Being like, this is a satire of the 1980s and also this type of individual yes. in the 80s yep. ha- having this job. Yep. So having set it up, they would watch it and be like, oh, I get it. Yes. I get it. Yes. Yeah. That's that's so. the only reason I had any thoughts on this at all. Because, uh, <laughs> because you know, you guys are like, oh, yeah, it's a satire. I'm like, oh, okay. I'm going to make sure I pay attention this time. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is interesting because I... I should do that more, actually, but I have this tendency to recommend like really weird movies to people who are not prepared for them. Dave, looking at you, <laughs> and uh, and they're like, "What the fuck, dude? What did you just make me watch?" And then like we'll talk about it. They're like, "Oh, like I get it. Like I wish I would have known that going in." But for like, which makes sense. But for me, I want to know like as little as possible. I want to discover those things for myself. Not everybody's like that. It's true. Uh, people have things to do in their lives instead of <laughs> watching movies. Uh, not me, apparently, but nope. um, that's, a, that, that's a good point, Dave. That is a very good point. Yeah. There are lessons to be learned, and just because the medium is a movie doesn't mean you can't take something away from it. Exactly. Agreed. Exactly. 100% agreed. Amen. Okay, I think we're at the end of the show. We talked at length about this movie. <laughs> but Sorry. Before we all... No, you don't apologize. This was amazing. But before we sign off, guys, do you guys have like a podcast somewhere that people can listen to? Could you tell our oh. listeners more about your show? Oh, it's funny you should ask. We do have a podcast and <sighs> we are called First Prize Films. We are on all major podcast listening platforms, um, including Apple Music, because even when I say all major plat- podcast platforms, people still ask Apple Music. Yes, we're on there. Um <laughs> <laughs> but uh, all of them yeah we uh we are about to start season three or i don't know when this is going to come out but yeah season three is coming and uh yeah we also have uh social media stuff we do we uh we are a podcast our, our premise is we take two movies we love genre films we take two movies from the same genre separated by a decade and we pit them against each other to uh find out which one's the the best of the genre not necessarily mm-hmm. the best movie, but the best representation of the genre. Uh, we're both wrong a yes. lot. We both have terrible takes. It's true. Uh, you guys are going to be mad at us. But that's <laughs> fine. Uh, we have a good time, have a few laughs, have a few jokes. But yes, you can check us out on all the podcast platforms. Um, but we also stream on Twitch uh, on Tuesdays, talking about more topical things and a bunch of random things and hanging out with people in the chat. So it's true. That it's is a good amazing. time. Yeah, like I mean, that's the reason why I reached out to you guys originally. I was like, you know, this is such an awesome premise, and mm-hmm. I'm a sucker for like competition stuff, yeah. especially when it comes to like battle of the genres. Like, mm-hmm. it's like, oh, which one is better? And it's mm-hmm. like two that you wouldn't normally think to pit against each other. Yeah. So it's very interesting, and yeah, I absolutely love it. And you guys are always a fun time. 
So, oh, well, yeah. thank you. Well, thanks. Everyone have- should go and listen to your show, First Price Pod, First Price thanks. Films podcast. Yes. Yeah. Thanks so much. Seriously, always have a good time hanging out with you and yeah, diving into these movies. Seriously, thank it's you. it's an honor to be here, and uh, we're we're really happy uh, we get to do it. Yeah, and thank you uh, from my side, and I'm glad that I had actual constructive thoughts this time. So <laughs> I changed your mind. Yeah, I did the thing, guys. <laughs> you always sell yourself short, Dave. You do, man. You're a smart cookie. You are. <sighs> Not just a hat rack, guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, guys. This was a blast, just like the last time. So I look forward to hearing more of you guys on your show, and maybe potentially in the future, maybe you guys can come back and we can hang out again. That'd be Absolutely. Fun. We're we're going to forcibly put you on our show. So be oh, prepared shit. for that. <laughs> oh, damn. Okay. I'll be ready. Okay. Until next time, guys. It's been a lot of fun. Thank Thanks. you, sir. Bye. That's it for this time on The Syndicate. We hope you enjoyed yourself. Keep the conversation going by adding us on Instagram and letterboxed at Syndicate. Or join the Discord server where you can catch Armand along other podcasters and listeners at syndicate.com slash discord. And until next time, stop that scroll and spend more time watching. Goodbye.